how do you walk through life uh, when all of that happens? And uh, it's, a, it's a good morning. We're going to talk about joy. We've talked about this, this whole month, like this whole idea of like, what happens when my life, things that used to work in my life don't work anymore? What happens when the things, the wheels fall off and I just can't figure it out? And uh, we've talked about how to do that, deal with that with our grief. We've talked about how to deal with it with our prayers. We've talked about how to deal with it with our dreams. And uh, this morning, we're talking about joy. Now, to get us started, I just want to start with this story um, to kind of illustrate what it's like when, what it feels like when things just kind of stack up in life and you're like, what, how do I, how do I be joyful? How do I be happy in this situation? A few years ago, uh, when my kids were younger, and some of you may have heard this story, it has some notoriety, it's a bit infamous, we've told it, and many of you have laughed at me in it. So um, a few years ago, my kids were in middle school, and in the summertime, my wife and I both work, and so they're home a little bit during the day by themselves. And so uh, one day, my son calls me, and he says, hey, Dad, can I make Jell-O? And uh, this, for those of you who might know the story or want to remember it later, this is called the Jell-O incident, okay? Also known as the Jell-O conflict, but not the Jell-O war, okay? Although there were issues of war in it. So so he told us, to, can I make jello? Sure, you can make jello. Do you know how? Yeah, okay, don't burn down the house. You know, clean up your mess when you're done. So, okay, Dad, I got it. You know, I'm like hung up the phone. I'm like, wow, isn't that great? Look, look how responsible they're becoming, like figuring this stuff out. Really proud. And they called and asked first. Like, this was all good. So later in the day, I come home. And um, I walk in the kitchen. And on the floor, on the tile, is this smeared mess of like red. Like, like, so either someone has died or someone made red jello and made a mess. Now, like any good dad, right, I mustered the troops, okay? I, I issued a DEFCON 5 warning. I mustered the troops and said, I thought we had this conversation on the phone. You were not to make, you know, you're supposed to clean up after yourself. You know, I thought we had this conversation. To which there were smirks and giggles and a lot of backing away. And so... This is, you know, and when you're a dad and that's happening you know, with your teenagers, you're just, you're just trying to, like, keep it, you know, keep it down, keep yourself from going to DEFCON 4. So I, I just figured I'll walk into the living room and just calm down a little bit. So I walk into the living room, and what do I see? But red jello on the couch, on the wall, on the TV, right? So now we have gone from DEFCON 5 to DEFCON 4, okay? There are sirens going off in my head, and I think they were coming out of my voice very loudly, okay? My wife said she's never heard me be so loud as that day. So I'm mustering them, like, what is going on? You know, I am reading them the riot act. And so I realized, okay, I, you know, I'm way overboard. I just I need to get away. So I walk over to the dining room to kind of catch my breath and calm down, except do you know what's in the dining room? Yeah, on the curtains, on the windows, like it's a disaster. And so I am like flipping out now. I'm just like, I'm, I'm just going upstairs. Like, I'll be back down in a minute. So I go upstairs and there are wasps flying all over the house because there are two windows in both of their rooms wide open with the screens popped out. And there is a Swiffer, you know, the little Swiffer things that has a little squirt thing on it that you do. It's laying on the floor, just you're kind of like discombobbled all over the place. And I'm just, I am, I am madder than a wasp or a hornet. Like I am ticked off. And, I'm, and so it turns out that um, apparently a jello conflict started and there was some throwing of jello. And when the one boy ran out of jello to throw, he grabbed the Swiffer to defend himself, began to chase the other around the house with the Swiffer, scorting him with the Swiffer. Uh, which, you know, it might have been as clean as they got in middle school. And so up the stairs, and one boy runs into the room, locks himself in the room, realizes, I can't get out. And so 
he pops up the window, pops out the screen, climbs out on the roof, and realizes there's a wasp nest out here. And so he runs around to the other room, pops the screen out, climbs back through that window, and runs out of his room, and leaves all the windows open in the house. It's like DEFCON 1, right? Like the day that I was like, I might be childless after this day. Like, I, it was a good run. I enjoyed it. I think it's over, okay? Point is, sometimes things just stack up against each other, and you don't, you don't see them coming, and you have to ask this question. How do I have joy? How do I find joy when things just keep going wrong one after another? How do I get to that place where I can, when the wheels fall off, that I can, it's not just fake joy, it's not just a smile, it's the real thing. In this series, we've talked about this whole idea of hitting the wall when things just, the wheels fall off our life, we're like, what do I do now? And how some people, when that happens, they, they hit the wall in their life, and they go, I'm just going to bail on faith. I'm done, I'm not going to do it. They turn to addiction, they turn to other things in their life, and they say, I'm just done with this whole faith thing, it doesn't work anymore. Some people get to the wall, and they go, well, I remember one of those things that used to work, and so I'm going to go back to those things that used to work. I'll just, I'll listen to new music. I'll find a new church. I, I just, I need to do these other things because maybe they'll work again. Maybe if I just learn more, then I can feel the way I did. But the people who last, the people who really make it, are the people who are willing to stay at the wall, who are willing to go to the wall and process it with God, to allow him to transform them. People who choose to stay at the wall push through the darkness. But in that pushing through the darkness, we come to a point where we're just we're like out of energy. Like, what? I'm trying to push through here, but I don't know how to get on. I don't, how do I have joy? What do I do? How do you find joy at that place while you're in the difficulty? You've heard the saying probably about happiness, right? That happiness is circumstantial. Like, happiness comes and goes with our situations. Our situation's good, we're happy. Our situation's bad, we're not happy. And so most of us naturally do what? When happiness is gone, we try to fix our situation to make happiness come back. But I want to be clear. I'm not talking about happiness this morning. I'm talking about joy. I'm talking about something deeper and more meaningful and more important. Joy is not happiness. Joy is, well, in Scripture it says it's the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians, love, joy, peace. In fact, if the order in Galatians, the idea of what comes from God to us, the fruit of the Spirit, if that means anything, joy is number two, right after love. So it should be integrated with our faith. We should be able to find this as a gift from God, even in the toughest situations. And so I want to just read this definition. We want to start with this definition of what is joy about? It's from Martin Sanders, um, who actually was one of uh, Pastor Joel, or lead pastor's mentors during seminary. It says this, joy is delighting in the goodness of God. It's taking time to enjoy not only what the Father is doing through us, but also how he is restoring us to be the person he's always dreamed we could be. Joy is a mindset. It's an understanding of God's grace, of God's presence, and of his blessing in your life. So I want to take a look at 1 Peter today, because Peter has this way of describing joy, and Peter if you don't know who Peter was, Peter was this guy who followed Jesus. Um, he was a disciple, an apostle, the guy that like, would die for his faith. Actually, legend says he was crucified upside down because he didn't think he was worthy of being dying the same way as Jesus. This is a dude who knows what it means to have joy in suffering because this is a guy who suffered. So he's fully qualified to give us a little bit of advice. 
on what it's like to go through hard times and still have joy. So you get out your outline this morning. We'll take a little look of what's it mean to reframe joy at the wall? How do we approach it? What do we do? Reframing joy at the wall first means choosing to rejoice. Choosing to rejoice. Peter gives us this first bit of counsel and says, when you're at the wall, choose to rejoice. Now, when you get to the wall, you're often tired. You're exhausted. It feels like, man, all I see ahead is darkness, difficulties, disappointment on the way ahead. So when you hear the word choose to rejoice, you might be like, really? Choose to rejoice? What is that about? Like, you might think of like self-help books. Like, oh, yeah, you mean like the self-help books? You mean like the dude It's like, dude, like positive vibes, bro. Like, just think good thoughts, man. Good things come your way, you know? And if you've ever been through hard times, like really difficult times at the wall, then hearing that kind of stuff probably just makes you throw up in your mouth a little bit. Like, are you kidding me? Right? Like, that doesn't work. Like, the whole idea of fake it till you make it, it's not a long-term strategy for how to have joy. It's just faking joy. And that's not what we're talking about this morning, and that's not what Peter is talking about. He's talking about how do you enter into suffering and when things are going wrong, and have joy amidst your sorrow. Have joy and understand, like, amidst your greatest moments of poverty, understand the great moments of richness that are in it at the same time. And so we find this, this advice from Peter in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, starting in verse 6. He says, In all this you greatly rejoice. For though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, these have come so that your faith, your faith that is greater worth than gold, which perishes even though it might be refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus is revealed. So there's this idea of this whole thing of like, okay, so when you enter into this this tough circumstance, this difficult situation, choose to rejoice. Because even though you're suffering, there is something good that is in it. There's something more valuable than gold. And now, guys, if you buy, if you go out and buy, you know, your gal a ring today made of gold, do you know down deep within you whether you should buy 5 carat, 10 carat, 14 carat, or 24 carat? I mean, do you really want to make her, like, know that you went all out for it, what do you buy? 24 karat, right? She may not give a lick, but if she does, you want the 24 karat. Why? What's special about 24 karat? It's more valuable because it's what? More refined. It's, it's been through the process of purification, and it has more value. It has more weight. People see it, and they go, yeah, okay. It's great. It has great value. And what Peter is saying here is that you want the kind of faith, the kind of relationship with God that really is meaningful, that has some meaning to it, then be willing to enter into a process where God refines it and makes it this great, valuable thing to you that makes your faith truly genuine. Now, I'm not talking about joy. I don't think Peter's talking about joy like as some general Christian philosophy, you know, like, like someone like pushed the make your life a train wreck button, but every time someone says, how you doing? You're like, fine, fine. My life's a mess, but I'm good. How you doing? You know, it's not that whole thing where you just respond and fake it. Like, well, you know, three people in my life died this week, but everything's going to be great because all things work out to the glory of God. It's not that. Authentic joy is more than that. It's rooted in experiential faith. 
It's rooted in this journey of faith that has real like markers in it where you say, no, no, no. In the midst of this whole thing falling apart, I see God's hand at work. I know that he'll be with me because, see, I've experienced it before. I've taken a risk to experience it before. I know that God's moving in us. In it. I know that God's shaping me. I, know, I see him over here working. It's easy to say God's good. It's easy to say God's awesome when things are awesome. But when things are not so awesome and you say that, now you have faith. Now you've discovered genuine faith, refined and pure faith. And that's what Peter's inviting us to, this idea of a refining moment, this place where God is inviting you to be the person he's always dreamed you to be, the person that is now involved in God's greatest rescue mission of all time. Max Lucado writes this great story about it. It kind of gives us a picture of we're all in this journey. Some of you, like, as we've been going through this wall journey, know, like, you're like, well, I'm not at a wall right now, but it's good to know about the wall, and where am I at, and where am I at in this whole process of refinement? And so Max Lucado writes this great little story about a blacksmith shop and about how we are found in these different places and what it takes to walk through it. So I'm just going to read it to you. In the shop of a blacksmith, there are three types of tools. There are those tools in the junk pile, outdated and broken, dull and rusty. They sit in the cobweb corner, useless to their master, oblivious to their calling. There are tools on the anvil, melted down, molten hot, moldable and changeable. They lie on the anvil, being sharpened by their master, accepting their calling. There are tools of usefulness, sharpened, primed, defined, mobile. And they lie ready in the blacksmith's tool chest available to their master, fulfilling their calling. Some people lie useless, lives broken, talents wasting, fires quenched, and dreams dashed. They are tossed in with a scrap iron in desperate need of repair, with no notion of purpose. Others lie on the anvil, hearts open, hungry to change. Their wound is healing, their vision is clearing, and they welcome the painful pounding of the blacksmith's hammer, longing to be rebuilt, begging to be called. And others lie in the master's hands, well-tuned, uncompromising, polished, and productive. They respond to the master's forearm, demanding nothing and surrendering all. We are all somewhere in the blacksmith's shop. We are either in the scrap pile or on the anvil or in the master's hands or in the tool chest. Some of us have been in those places at one time or another. And the question is, where do you find yourself today? Where do you find yourself today? In that blacksmith shop of tools, do you find yourself in that junk pile, or do you find yourself on that anvil, or do you find yourself like, no, I'm, I'm in this place of surrender. Where are you in that journey? Because God's inviting you to something different, something new, something great. And if you're at the wall, if you feel like you've been in that junk pile, there's this lesson in that story, there's this lesson that Peter's trying to teach us about what kind of thing that we ought to be. Because the choice to rejoice when there's trouble in our life, it's not natural. It's just not. I don't know people who are naturally like, I love it when my life just turns to, you know, just awful. I love that because when it does, man, I just rejoice. Like, no one does that. So I'm not talking about something natural. I'm talking about something supernatural. Something where you have genuine faith, an ability to trust God, ability to say, I'm choosing to rejoice. And the, the lesson of the story that Max Lucado calls us to is like, 
It's like this choice to say, the choice to rejoice is a little bit like saying, I embrace the anvil. Wherever I am, like I embrace the anvil. God, shape me and mold me. Because there's this thing that happens when trouble enters our life, when we're at the wall, that seldom happens elsewhere. There's a bit of brilliance that shines out of our life. There's the possibility for real change in our life. There's this glow of courage or of love. Things that we wouldn't normally choose, that we choose when we're on the anvil. And that's the refinement process. Because in the refinement, that anvil process, that blacksmith shop, when we suffer, bitterness is brewed, things are going wrong, we have despair, we have all these other emotions. But in that same spot is the place that character is forged. It's in that same place that our life can be changed. It's the place of soul making. It's the place that we discover how to be true participant in God's glory. And so if you're thinking like, I don't know that I'd want to choose any of that. Think about what it would mean to have the life of God, the glory of God flowing in and through your life. The kind of difference that that could make because that's what God's inviting you to. Some of you might go, I don't know how anyone can make those choices in life. I don't know if that's really even possible. And so I want to invite you today to take just a minute. We're going to hear a story of Mike Sponser. Mike was in a pretty significant accident about a year ago now. And uh, he has been through a lot in the last year. And so he's just going to tell you a little bit of his story and how God has been working on him and how he's discovered joy in the midst of what happens when the wheels fall off our life. Let's take a look. Well, on July 1st of last year, uh, I got home from work and re- realized that the weather wasn't going to be nice for the next couple of days. So I hopped on my bicycle and took a, took a bicycle ride. Well, about four miles into that ride, I, as I was sh- cresting a hill and shifting gears, the front wheel of the bike dropped off the side of the road and I just ran into a tree head on. When I hit the tree, the force of that impact drove, drove that force right down through my spine and it cracked and, and fractured. Uh, and dislocated the top lumbar in my lumbar uh, vertebrae in my back. And in doing so, it, it, it paralyzed me from the waist down. And uh, I was lifelined to the Hershey Medical Center. The next day, I had surgery on my back to, to, uh, to reconstruct it. And uh, because my spine, fortunately, was just simply compressed and not severed, um, the prognosis was pretty good. Uh, the signal from my brain to my feet had been had been disconnected and nerves are funny things when they when they are when they are experiencing trauma like that they shut down and uh, it takes them a long time to come back and they don't once they shut down they don't know what to do they have to be retrained to come back uh, after uh, after spending a week in Hershey Medical Center uh, I was transferred to Hershey Rehab where where I spent the next four and a half weeks essentially learning to be able to function enough just to get back get back to, to, home, to my home. While I was there, I started to slowly get some, um, some uh, feeling back in my legs and some motor function back in my legs, normally probably more in my thigh area. But it was a very slow process. And by the time I eventually left, I had just enough strength to be able to stand and, um, and uh, to, to walk a little bit in, in, parallel, in parallel bars. Um, while I was there, the rehab health um, hospital was was really good for for healing the physical aspect of my injury, but there was also the emotional aspect, which was rather hard. And I learned through that process that I can either uh, I can either succumb to my injury and uh, and the potential of being a disabled person for the rest of my life and be angry about it, 
or I can just simply turn it over to God and, and let him let him deal with it and to just tell me what he wants to do about it. But along the way, God had continued to send people in my path to, to help me through this. Uh, the one thing I remember was Mark Schaefer, who was one of the international workers that we were with in Ecuador, sent me an email uh, the week of the surgery. And it said that uh, he was telling me about his daughter who had had uh, her spine or the, the nerve coming out of her spine down her right arm severed when uh, she was in a car accident. And the doctors had said that there was never going to be any hope for her to use her arm. And three months later, she was back to work. Now, Mark wasn't telling me this story because he thought that he wasn't saying that's what's going to, to be your case. But he was telling me that, uh, that because, you know, ultimately God is in charge. And, um, and he just wanted to let me know that God has the final say on these things and I didn't need to worry about any of it. I remember uh, one of our nurses, one of my nurses coming into my room one day with an aide. Off the top of his head quotes Isaiah 53, 5 and says, by my stripes you will be healed. And it's just, just lots of people along the way who, who, uh, who were encouraging me. I remember one night looking up in the middle of the night and all, all I saw was a silhouette of a large black woman with frizzy hair looking over me. And it was one of the aides who had come in to, to turn me over because I couldn't turn myself over. And uh, she said, I'm just, I just want to turn you over and just to tell you that you're on our prayer list at church. And as she left, I, as, as she was walking out of the room, I just remember turning my head and crying and saying, thank you, God, now you're sending angels. I have lots of other joys that I can point to. I have a wife who is very supportive, who has been through this with me and just is just extraordinary in her support. Of, of, of me. Uh, I have an employer who was going out of their way so that I could get back to work. I, I started out working at home a few months after the accident. I then was able to go part-time and they even set an office up for me in a different building. And just family and friends who have done everything, going out of their way. We have friends who cut our grass, clean our snow. There were, there were, the lady that cuts my hair uh, was, was coming and clipping my hair in my garage for me. Just endless uh, a friend two friends who put up a handrail in my another handrail on my um, stairwell so I can walk up and down the steps with with that support just coming coming out of the woodwork to to be supportive I remember waking up in the middle of the night many times and just opening my Bible to first Peter 1 and I just wanted to just wanted to read that uh, for you because it means so much to me and it and it just shows the type of joy that we can have in knowing in knowing Jesus so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as, as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward of trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Wow, that's 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 at the heart of what I experience through this through this injury and, 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 and the things that I'm going through now, is that we face many trials in our lives and and we uh, don't do that alone. We always have Jesus there with us, and because of that, we have the joy that that Jesus can only provide. You know, I just realized that with eternal life, we will, I will be given a new body and, uh, and I will be spending the rest of eternity celebrating and worshiping God. So how, what, what do I have other than joy to experience? I have experienced many times where 
uh, I have been driven to my knees just to find to find solace in God and, and to turn to Him. And I have I, I, He's always there to answer answer me when I when I when I ask. I also have realized that I cannot be the source of my own joy because true joy only comes from the finished work of Jesus. I know that every breath that I take is a gift of God. I often think about the fact that if I would have not had a helmet on that day when I hit the tree, I could have easily broken my spine. I could have been a quadriplegic. I could have died that day because of the, the, the speed that I was going. So it, every day is a blessing. And I really have no value apart from Jesus. And that's I, I gain joy from that because of knowing that, that he's there for me and he's he lives inside of me. And how can you not have joy? It's been nearly nine months since I had my accident. And uh, thankfully, because of the type of injury that I had, I'm getting stronger every day. I can actually walk in arm crutches. Uh, I've walked as far as three quarters of a mile in, in, a, in a walker. And I'm getting stronger, and my prognosis is very good. And, um, you know, every day I praise God for the blessings that he sends my way. So how can I, how can I have anything other than joy in my life? You know, I've known Mike a long time. Ridden motorcycle with Mike, a guy that loves to adventure. We've gone hiking before. We've gone on missions trips together. He's one of our short-term trip leaders. He loved his, his calling. I remember sitting with him on his bed in rehab not long after his accident. A time when he could barely push five pounds downhill with his legs. They didn't know what what would come back and what wouldn't sat there and looked at me and said, Sean, I, I don't know if I'll be healed or not, but it won't be for the lack of trusting God and being thankful that he's going to be with me through this whole process. Authentic joy. That's not put on a happy face joy. That's the real deal. When you look at Mike's story and you see him, you see this genuineness of a relationship with God, genuine faith. And you see in Mike God's glory. Like God is writing a story in his life. He sees this life as the temporary that it is. Like, sure. When you see all of that, for some of us, sometimes we hit those rough spots in our life and we go, why would I want to be the poster child for God's glory? Like, if this is what it means, why would I want to volunteer for that? truth is that God chooses every person to be the poster child for his glory, but not everyone chooses to respond in a way that brings him glory. Not everyone gets to respond in a way that says, I will participate in that process, God. I will, I will embrace the anvil and allow you to shape me and allow you to others to see just how incredible you are. So that's what God's inviting you to. Why rejoice? Because it makes your faith genuine. And your life becomes this bringing glory to God. You become a participant in God's glory. And it flows through you. This is what God invites you to. And then another second part of this that's important to recognize. And that's that we're not just making a choice to rejoice. But Peter says, not only are you making the choice to rejoice. But at the same time as you're making that choice, you're making a second choice. And that second choice is choosing to love and trust God. That these two choices 
are integrated. They're intertwined. You can't choose to rejoice without choosing to love and trust God. Now, choosing to love and trust God in a place where your life falls apart, when you were walked, it's a bit like this. You ever walked into a dark, like a closet, and it's like a strange closet. You've never been in it before. You know, and the door shuts behind you. It's a big room, and you're like, I know there's a light in here, right? But, but some nitwit didn't put the light next to the door where you expect it to be. So you're like this, like grabbing at the light, and you realize it's not there. You either stand in the dark closet and, or don't find what you're looking for in the closet and give up, or you keep switch, just keep looking for the light switch, right? You keep wandering around the dark closet. So you run into something and you go, oh, there's the light switch. There it is. You find it, you turn the light on. And in our life, when we hit the wall, it's just like that. We enter into a darkness. We go, I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I can go on. But we say, no, I'm going to keep searching. I know that there's going to be light here. I know that there's going to be a way out. And so I keep searching for it. Because in our pain, we're tempted to isolate ourselves, to say, no, I'm just going to stop searching. There's no way this could turn out good. But God invites us to something more. And Peter invites us to something more. And Peter's a guy who knows about this. Peter's a guy who at the pinnacle of his journey with Jesus, the toll, all the wheels fall off. Jesus gets murdered, put to death. Peter denies his even knowing him. He knows what it's like to have the wheels fall off to think there's no way that this can turn out good. And yet, in the midst of it, he says, let me give you some advice when things seem hopeless. Let me tell you a way to respond in hopelessness that's life-changing. And we find it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. So though you can't see him, you don't know he exists, you still love him. He's talking to these people like, you, you didn't even walk with Jesus, and you still love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, if, if you're here this morning, wherever you are in your faith journey, particularly if you're at the beginning of just even checking out God, not knowing what to do with him, this has got to sound crazy, right? Like, how can you love somebody that you've never seen? And, like, how do you believe in something that you don't even see now? Like, you're in the situation, you don't even see them now. What in the world is this about? This is crazy talk. This is just weird. And so this morning, I don't want to convince you that it's not weird. What I want to help you understand is that it's wonderful, that it's true. Even though it makes no sense to you right now, it is true, and it is incredible. So let me illustrate. Uh, I'm going to need a volunteer, because I'm going to do a, we're going to do a trust fall. Anybody? You're going to catch me. Anybody want to volunteer to catch me? Bob Lipscomb, right up here up front. You're going to come up and, you think, I mean, you think you can handle this? Come on, yeah, come on up. So, well, I'm just saying, if you don't catch me, you got to finish the sermon. All right. So, no pressure, I'm just saying. Okay. So, as I understand it, like, you, you, you hold your arms, like, out like this so you can catch me really well. Because I, I want to be caught. If you don't catch me, just do communion and dismiss them. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be fine. All right, so I can't see you. I, I'm, I'm trusting you have not gone back to your seat. Here we go. All right, that was really good. You're experienced at this. A lot of people trust falling. Okay, wait, let's, let's do it again. That was, that was good. I just feel like I really, you know. Oh, see, that was better. Like, I knew you were going to be there that time. I didn't hear you pitter-patter away. That was good. Thank you, my friend. All right, so 
Even though I couldn't see him, even though in the midst of falling backwards, I didn't know that he was there, for me to take that step, I had to believe him. I had to believe that he could be there. This is what it's like. This is, this is how the craziness makes sense. To trust God, even though the wheels are falling off and it might not make sense, to trust God means to say, all right, you're going to be there. And the first time I did it, I thought he might catch me, right? The second time, I was pretty sure that he might. And even though, like, in the midst of falling, I'm still like, boy, I hope he catches me. I, I had to trust. I had to trust and believe, and this is what God invites us to. And in the context of this verse, Peter puts this context in two, there's two different ways that he talks about this. The first is love. He says, you've loved him even though you've never seen him. So even though you haven't ever seen Jesus, you've learned to love him. Now let's face it, loving anyone takes some risk. You're going to risk something if you're going to love someone. You're going to make yourself vulnerable to someone else you're risking something. If you really are going to love them, not just say you love them, but you're actually going to love them, you're putting yourself out there and going, I wonder if this is going to work out. In the hopes, in the hopes that that relationship will bring you joy, that that risk will be worth it. This is what you're being invited to, this risk exploring a friendship with Jesus. Risk exploring what a relationship with God really can be. Even though you don't see him, to risk it and to say, I want to give it a whirl. God, if you're there, I'm going to give this a whirl. And I recognize risk is a choice. But if you refuse to choose, you never get to experience all the things that God has dreamed for you, all the ways that he's going to show up in your life. The second one that Peter talks about is belief. Even though you cannot see him now, you still believe. Even though it doesn't feel like he's with you right now, you still have chosen, and the Greek word that Peter uses means to entrust. So not just believe, but it's entrust yourself to him. So even when the circumstance is not what you think it should be, you choose to trust yourself to him. Now, there are two, two ways that people typically respond in crisis, right? One is they go, I'm in crisis. I admit I can't do this on my own, and I need help. And in those cases, they turn to entrust themselves to others' help, to God's help. And the other way they respond is they go, see I'm all alone in this. I'm a victim. I can't go on. No one loves me. I'm on my own. And they get stuck. And what Peter is encouraging you to do is not to be stuck, to make the choice to say, I'm going to love and entrust myself to God. When I think about this choice to love and trust God, it reminds me, I just was thinking about it this week as I heard the news about Mick Jagger and a significant other. Did you hear this news that she committed suicide and um, they, they came on the news and they were talking about it and like, everybody was just mystified over this whole situation. And they were talking about like possible reasons, like her, her company was $6 million in debt. But here's a woman who has like all the stuff, right? She travels the world, she has this fashion business, and she runs into a wall in her life and decides, I'm all alone and the only thing I have left is to end it. Could you imagine in our culture if that was different? You know, the Huffington Post says that the leading cause of death in America today is not car accidents, it's not plane accidents, it's suicide. People who choose to just go, I'm on my own. And God is inviting us to authentic joy, to genuine faith that says even though you can't see him, even when the wheels fall off, can you imagine what would happen if those people 
who thought there was nothing left found the joy of, I can trust Jesus. Like even in this situation, my toughest circumstance, I can love and entrust myself to Jesus. Could you imagine if they discovered the crazy that is wonderful and is true and is authentic? Because that's what every person needs, to discover God and his reality. And God invites us to this. Peter is inviting every one of us to it, to say, listen, in your circumstance that's rotten and it stinks, it's not about your circumstance. It's about your faith. It's about your relationship with God. In your circumstance that's disastrous, it's not about happiness. It's about meaning. It's about how to have real meaning in life and not just try to fix your life. It's said that, I've heard it, read it before, that your soul is like elastic. It's like a balloon. And if you're willing at the wall to let it be expanded, you're willing at the wall to let it be expanded by things like grief and disappointment in the darkness, you can learn to love and trust God there. And when your soul is expanded, it can also feel a greater measure of joy and peace and love. And that's what God's inviting you to, this, this way of trusting God. Peter's saying, like, listen, even when you don't know what's going to happen, even when you feel like you're all alone, even in that moment, love and trust God. In other words, the secret to authentic joy, to an expressible joy, is this. And it's summed up in one name, Jesus. God himself in the flesh that wants and desires and has built a bridge so that you might have a relationship with the creator of a whole universe. This is the summary. You know, when I did that trust fall, every time you do it, it doesn't get easier, but you get more confidence. I can think about all the walls I've hit in my life. Like uh, when I went to college, I was a Navy ROTC. I went through basic training, and I hit a wall. I didn't really have any faith then. I hit a wall in there because I, I pretty much stink at everything you have to do in basic training. Like, I can't march. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like Gomer Pyle or Gilligan, right, in basic training, right? So, like, I, I got a big target on my chest, and all I get is mocking the whole time. So I just felt like a disaster going through that whole experience because I was, I was bad at everything I was supposed to be learning and being good at, right? Just a disaster. And I walked away from that going, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to turn to God in this? And God was working in me to invite me to learn to trust him, even when I felt like the wheels were falling off my life and I made some bad choices and I don't know what to do. And then I remember later in my first year of marriage when Susan and I first got married, and we, I, didn't, I didn't make squat, right? Like, like we didn't have a penny between us. And there were, there were weeks where we didn't know if we would have enough food, like my money, to buy food and groceries for the week. We were just poor. And in that place... I learned to fall backwards and to trust God again. And he helped us get through it. And then I I remember when we had twins and I was just overwhelmed by that whole experience because, you know, when you have two babies at once, like some people are just really great parents. I got to tell you, this whole thing for me is like learning something new. The whole, like I'm just not naturally a great parent. I got to work on it. I got stuff in my past I'm trying to be redeemed from and letting God do stuff for me. And that whole first nine months, it was like a dark tunnel. And then just when you saw the light coming, you realize it's the train, right? The train's coming. You're like, ah! That was, I, I remember hitting walls down going, God, I don't, how am I ever going to be the kind of parent that you want me to be? Learning to trust fall backwards into God's arm and say, I need your help. 
over and over and over again in my life. God has been there. You know, when people come into my office as a pastor, and this happens often, like people come in to see you when they have crisis, when things are going wrong. They're like, I don't know where else to turn. I don't know what to do. And I can almost, almost always tell who's going to have transformation and who isn't. Who's going to survive this in a way that's going to be amazing and who is not. Because the people who come into my office and they just want their situation fixed, they just want to be happy again, they almost never make it. They almost never find happiness again. They must always turn to addiction, whatever it is that they're going to turn to, where they stay stuck and they never move on. The people who come in and they have this attitude of what Peter's talking about, this I'm embracing the anvil, this place where they're like, I would rather have Jesus. Like, I realize that this is in my life, and I would rather have Jesus. I would rather have something genuine. I would rather have meaning to my life than I would happiness. I'm done with happiness. I need something greater than that because happiness is elusive, and it it will be here today and gone tomorrow. I need something like Jesus. Those people always make it. God always does something amazing in their life. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not condemning that choice to try to make your life happy. In fact, sometimes that's what it takes to get to the point where you want God more than ever. And it's natural to want happiness. I want it too. I make choices all the time to try to be happy, to control my situation, to fix it, because I want to be happy. But the question really is, do you want Jesus? Do you want a life that's transformed and changed and worth living? Because that's what God's inviting you to. And that's what I'm inviting you to this morning, to trust Jesus in that way. So why choose to be unsettled? Why choose to enter in and embrace the anvil trust and believe God at the wall? Because the reward of loving and trusting Jesus through our trials is inexpressible and glorious joy. You want that kind of joy, then you got to know Jesus. you got to trust him because that's the ultimate goal is that you have an authentic relationship with God that produces it even amidst the trial because you know that even if you don't have anything else, you have him. So I want to invite you this morning to communion. Now, communion is this, communion is this thing that we celebrate as a church family. Um, people are following Jesus. And it's this place that Jesus invites you to make note of the fact that he noticed you, that he went out of his way and he did the ultimate trust fall on the cross. And he said, I'm going to trust that if I take on all the sin and the shame and the guilt of the world, I'm going to fall backwards. I'm going to trust that if I do this, that you might choose me. He did it for just a shot at a relationship with you. And so we invite you today at communion to remember, to say, I want to remember, I want to, by coming forward to communion, what you're really saying is, I'm inviting, I'm inviting Jesus to lead me, to forgive me. I'm really entrusting myself to him. I'm going to make the choice to rejoice by saying, God, Jesus, I can trust you. Even though I don't see you, even though I don't know you're there, I can trust you. That's the commitment that you make at the table. And so I invite you to a place of transformation this morning. Um, all of us might have to make some choices here this morning. You, we've, through this series, we've talked about reframing our joy and our dreams and our, our uh, grief and our prayers. I don't know what you need to reframe this morning. 
And maybe you're not at the wall, and you just need to choose this morning to come, remember what Jesus has done, and entrust yourself back to him this morning. To have a little joy over all the transformation that he can do in your life. So that's what I invite you to do. I'm going to pray, and then I'll give you some instruction about the communion. Lord Jesus, I want to say thank you for your amazing love for us. You have this amazing love. You have gone out of your way to bring love into our life, to share with us what we could never have on our own. So Jesus, this morning we take, make the choice to rejoice, to say thank you for all that you've done in our life, for all that you're going to do in our life. And even when it's dark, we know there are brighter days ahead. We know that even in the waiting time, you are there with us because your love is amazing for us. You never leave us. You're always there with us. And so we rejoice in that. And we choose to entrust ourselves to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, the worship band's going to play, and I want to invite you just to come up the middle aisle, and you can go back the side aisles. And, uh, you know, as you come up, you're entrusting yourself to Jesus. Maybe you want to just do a trust fall right into the table, right? Just fall. Don't do that. That would be, that would be a disaster. But seriously, like, as you come up, think about that trust fall. Like, how are you entrusting yourself to Jesus? And so this morning, if, even if it's your first time to trust Jesus, we invite you here to make it your first time to trust Jesus, to say, I'm in a little bit further, God. I want to trust you. And after you take your communion, go back to your seats, and then I'll come back up and lead us through it.